What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm chilling today. I'm chilling today. Feeling really good. Feels like summer to me right now. And that's a good thing in Minneapolis, up in the north. Today's guest, Lindsay L., also from the north, a Canadian. Now she lives in Nashville, but you know we have this kindred thing with being from the north and just understanding each other in a certain way that you only get with people from like the Midwest and up north. And Minnesota really kind of like could or maybe even, dare I say, should be part of Canada in some cases. Anyways, does it? I mean, and I actually, I mean that in zero political sense. So don't read into that. Don't read into that. Don't read into that. Lindsay is a good friend of mine. We became friends from just kind of the internet. And, you know, she had posted like a video playing one of my songs. I was like, oh, that's cool. She's like, oh, yeah, I love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, you're great, too. Let's hang out and write some music together. And we wrote, at this point now, I think we've written four or five songs together, something like that, none of which are out yet at this point, at the date of this interview release. But stuff will come out later. That's how it works. Lindsay's great. She's awesome. Amazing singer. Great guitar player. Great songwriter. And just also a good friend, which is fun to have like-minded, awesome, cool people as friends that are also really dope at what they do. And Lindsay is known in like the country world, I guess, because maybe that's just where her team has marketed her. But I think of her as more of pop singer-songwriter. Granted, I think some of her albums were produced and marketed, of course, like I said, to be more on country radio, which they are. But I, when I listen to her music, listen to her sing, listen to her play guitar, it feels more, I don't know what the right word is, universal than just country world. And I say just country world with quotes because the country music world is huge. And it's a, it's, there's a, some really awesome stuff happening in it. Uh, I know a lot of people like to hate on modern country. I think just, you know, if there's cool music, there's cool music. So whatever. This interview might be kind of long compared to others because we're just kind of hanging out and chatting. So this was actually, this is the first in-person Wong Notes interview I have done. Literally every other episode has been done remotely. This is the only one we were actually kind of hanging out. Kind of hanging out? No, we were hanging out. We were writing that day and... Um, that was that. So check it out. Lindsay L. You guys hit the distro kid yet? It is the easiest, fastest, and cheapest way to get your music onto streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, pretty much anywhere else that people consume music. You can get an account starting at $19.99 per year. Per year, you get unlimited uploads and you keep 100% of your earnings. A hundred percent. So for somebody like me, I put out I put out a lot of albums last year. It was still just one annual price, no matter how many albums I have up, and I keep a hundred percent of the earnings that come in. There's a lot of reasons I love DistroKid, but the ones I want to highlight here are the teams feature. So basically I can assign a percentage of royalties to go to any of my collaborators, however we work it out or my managers work with their managers and we work out, you know, whatever percentage split 
My percentage goes to me, and then DistroKid gives the other percentage to the other collaborator or artist. It works amazing. And neither one of us as artists needs to handle the accounting. DistroKid just does it for us. Set! If you'd like to give them a try, use my VIP link to get 30% off your first year of DistroKid membership. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong. There it is. Let's get to the episode. Lindsay, thanks for hanging on the podcast. It's fun. Corey, thank you for having me. This is my first in-person podcast. Oh my goodness, I feel honored. I feel so honored. Well, I think it has to do with a few things. One, (laughs) I started the podcast. Actually, it started before the pandemic. Wow. Like right, my first interview was Joe Satriani and it was just scheduling and we were both on tour, I think, so... I haven't been able to be in person with people, but we're also friends. We are totally friends. So, and being in proximity in the same city at times, it does make booking things in person slightly yeah. easier. Yeah, it's hard for me to ask like George Benson to. <laughs> never say never, George Benson. If you are listening to this, please reach out to Corey. Benson's one of my he- like. He's one of those people. I probably have like three guitar players that I think if I could play with or have them jam with them on a tune of mine that are my absolute dreams. And now that I'm thinking about it, what it maybe be like Benson, probably Mayer, and Pat Metheny. Solid. All solid choices. What are yours? Um, Mayer would probably be on that list just because of my, you know, history and um his playing just inspires me so much. Um Derek Trucks. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Would definitely be on that list. And then um gosh, if I if I had to choose a third one. Only living, right? Like things. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Because actually... that way that we can manifest this. We can yeah, true. Mood. Okay. Um I mean Joe Walsh. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Giving it up for Walsh. Walsh does not get talked about enough in he my doesn't. opinion. He doesn't, and yet he's so, like, experimental in his own right, which I, that is what inspires me. You know, when you have a player who is so committed to their artistry and their own voice. Yeah. That's when I'm like, okay, let me let me look into that. Absolutely. And he's an inspiration for me, too, because he signed, well, not all just simultaneously, but he was able to manage going back and forth between... Joe Walsh, Eagles, James Gang. James Gang, being a part of a band, being a guitar player. Of course, he sings too. Uh, but yeah, and for me, being a part of a band, yeah, doing solo things. He's and actually, okay, <laughs> you brought up Walsh. Joe Walsh acknowledged me once. Stop it. Okay, <laughs> that is a not mom. Be, I've made but, it, but moment. no, 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 not because. He knew who I was, not because he listened to anything of mine. I was taking a flight from L.A. to Minneapolis the night before the Super Bowl in Minneapolis a couple years ago when it was hosted there. And I'm walking onto the plane carrying my mono bag, my guitar, yep, the strap. As the we all bag. do. <laughs> and Joe Walsh is in seat 2C Stop it. on the Delta flight. I was I was in comfort plus, you know. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> frick. 
If I would have oh bought my C2B. Gosh, dear, can you imagine? If I would have bought, if I would have just ponied up and bought <laughs> C2B, I would have been sitting next to Walsh and he would have been. And you could have fascinated I just, about everything. I, no, I would have. I would have been all like, yeah. I don't. But I walk <laughs> on the plane. He looks up at me, sees me carrying a guitar, and he gives me like the, hey, head nod. Ah. Like, sup? Guitar player, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yo, we yeah, talk the oh, same language. Cool. Yeah, if he only knew, Corey, if he only knew. <laughs> I <sighs> I landed on the plane and I called Theo Katzman immediately. Oh my god, Theo's a Walsh freak as yeah. well. Yeah, like, dude, Walsh just gave me the nod. <laughs> what did he say? Walsh just he was like, no way. Are you with him right now? <laughs> do you see him? Like, what do you what do you say to him? I was like, I don't know. Like, if I see him at baggage claim, what do I say to him? He goes, man, just say like. I think you just, I think you just, I think you just say, hey man, I just wanted to say, I play guitar. Your music really means a lot to me. And, and just, and just leave. Don't, totally. don't ask him for anything. Just tell him. And um, he disappeared into the ether. <laughs> I was going to be like, <laughs> as soon as- I'm hanging on the edge of my seat. <laughs> no, he disappeared into the ether and I have not seen Walsh ever since, but. Yet. Not yet. That seems like he would actually be a really good fit with actually all three of those. For many reasons, you are known as a country person. Yep. You're, you're in the country world. You're on yeah. country radio. In the industry, yeah. But for me, I don't hear you as a country artist the way that I would hear, well, of course, some of the classic country, but also even just in modern country, your stuff fits. But to me, it feels a little more universal, more pop. Thank you. Thank you. That's one of the nicest compliments you could ever say to me. Because- Honestly, it's like when I look at the music I listen to and what really inspires me, um, it's everything except country. And sure. and yet country has changed so much as a genre. And as, as terms of terms of being a songwriter, the thing I love about country music is it's very much so about the lyric and about telling a story, which is something I've connected with ever since I was 10 years old and started writing songs. And so I feel like that's how I fit in. Yeah. Because I, I want to write songs that say something, but like stylistically, it's it's just always been something that I've had to figure out if like how, okay, because my live show is one thing and then yet country as a genre is changing so much right now that it is really inspiring when you listen to country radio or mm-hmm. even country playlists or wherever people listen to their mu- music on um everything is country from like really traditional sounding artists to like Sam Hunt to Maren Morris to, and, and when I listen to Maren's music, I mean, she inspires me so much with her artistry and I'm like, okay, well I, I can fit in that lane. I mean, arguably if Sheryl Crow or John Mayer were to come out today with their first few records, it probably would be played on country radio because pop has turned way into more of like a dance EDM urban thing. And so it's weird. Like I don't feel country. And yet I think that it's the only place I fit Mm. in like a commercial standpoint, you know? Now there's this thing called triple A for people that don't know what that is. So, Mm -hmm. but that to me and triple A would be like kind of classic place where you'd put singer songwriters Pop music that maybe isn't that dance anthem. It's not Coldplay. It's not Taylor Swift. It's not Cardi B. It's not Kanye. It's not Maroon 5. 
Well, actually, Summer Room 5 would fit in AAA. But AAA also doesn't seem to be, for whatever reason, it's not like a place that maybe... Maybe I'm wrong on this. Is there superstars in AAA? It feels like there's superstars in country. There's superstars in pop. There's superstars in these other realms. feels like AAA is a very popular, obviously, platform, channel, whatever you want to call it. But it almost feels in that world similar to like like the jam scene has huge Mm -hmm. bands. But there's something about it that doesn't quite break through the same way as... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind to... of look at, like, radio station genres as, like, backyards because, like, they're all fenced into their, like, own little worlds. And, mm-hmm. yeah, when you look at, like, the AAA backyard, like, that's a, a certain fence of only a certain amount of stations. You know, there are only a certain amount of mm. AAA radio stations across the country. Uh, so when you yeah, look at yeah, yeah. pure listener numbers, Got I it. think that's why it may feel like there aren't AAA superstars that are g- born yeah. from that format. However, there are massive artists who are played on AAA radio totally. stations that are built more from like a live perspective. Or now when you look at DSPs, which is just a fancy way of saying any streaming yeah, yeah. service that you listen to music, you know, y- you have AAA artists, quote unquote, that are massive. Yeah. And so I think it's now just kind of, I don't know, labeling things less as much as in order to market anything, I guess we need to figure out how to label it. Yeah. But um, but just making letting music be great. Like whenever I go into the studio now to record a record, I'm just like, I just want to record the most honest thing yeah. that I think is cool. And in that space, that's when I think fans in an audience can feel that vulnerability and feel that honesty because they definitely can feel it when it's fake. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to write the best music that I can and hope that it will find – the people who love it, you know? Yeah. But it's so easy to get your head wrapped up in the, all right, well, which side of the fence do you fall in? What backyard do you put yourself yeah. in? Because sometimes you do need to choose, you know? Yeah. I see Walsh. I hear Walsh over your songs. I hear Walsh over- I love that so much. Yeah. I don't know for what, I don't know why I hear him more than, Derek for sure could fit in in a in a way that, would be different than typical country slide or like pop slide guitar. I like played a lot of blues growing up. Like in my teens, when I was really, really young, Shania was my idol. I Mm. mean, being from Canada, like I would sing with a plastic microphone in the mirror wanting to be Shania Twain. And then when I turned 13, I started working with Randy Bachman, who was from Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Guess who? You did? You didn't know that? Randy became like another dad to me growing up. I met Randy when I was 13, and he was the dude, when I was sitting in in his studio on Salt Spring Island, I was 13 years old, and he was playing all these jazz chords up and down the neck, because he learned how to play guitar from Lenny Bro. Oh, yeah. And so he's a, Randy's like essentially a jazz guitar player who then was in a rock band. Yeah. And he would play all these jazz chords, and I would just sit there with eyes wide open being like, Randy, what is that? Mm -hmm. I'm in love with it. And so I just listened to a lot of blues growing up. Which is why I think I listen to a player like Derek Trucks and it like makes me feel things inside my soul. And and like Derek, Derek's playing to me is far more like a vocalist. Yeah. Which inspires me to no end. Like if I am trying to see where I can bring my playing to one day, like I listen to Derek Trucks and I'm just like, God bless. He's so good. He's so good. Mayor seems like a more obvious fit. Because 
he's done more of that sort of thing. And like, well, he did the thing with Marin at the Grammys. Yeah, I mean. That was, I'm not, not that you're compared to Marin. I'm just saying he did a collaboration with somebody who has music who could be categorized in the same backyard as you. The thing with Mayor, yeah, no, I, lo- yeah. I love it. That's perfect. The thing with Mayor that really inspires me is he's found a way to fuse the worlds of blues with contemporary pop with, you know, with still being him and his, like, beautiful artistry of, like, being a songwriter and writing real yeah. great songs. And that's just so inspiring to me. Like, my favorite artists are the ones that it's not necessarily the way you do one thing because – we're all going to find people who can sing better, who can play better, who can dance better, who can do whatever, the thing better than us. But it's like the mosaic of the puzzle that goes together that mm-hmm. makes it truly unique. And yeah. when I – I mean, I've been to so many mayor tours and, and stuff. And when I see him play a show, it's just like, wow, there is no one like him because he yeah. is truly himself. And so that's why I'm just so inspired by like a lot of what he does because he – finds the way to fuse worlds together while it's still being truly. Yeah, and he's also like, so he's what I would consider like a half generation above you and I. Yeah, yeah. And he was like kind of that ambassador for the guitar. Agreed. And still is. And still is when there wasn't a lot of ambassadors. Yeah. You know? There was like a lot of the the acoustic. Yes. The acoustic singer-songwriter thing where it was like there was a period where it seemed like the best thing in the world was if you were a singer-songwriter with a guitar with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And then it quickly became like the worst thing. Totally. <laughs> like, right now, there are, you know, maybe five years, four years ago, it was <laughs> yeah. like, we don't want yeah. a guy on we an acoustic guitar. Way we have, too yeah, many of we, those. Yeah. And now maybe it's coming back around. Like it, it could be, it could, it could surfacing him and not nearly yeah. the way that it was. And. You know, in the same way of we have enough hair glam bands at one hundred percent. Yes, we hit our limit on grunge. We got it. Yeah, moving on or yeah. whatever. You yeah. know, there's but Mayer transcended that. Actually, when I so I was a teenager, I was into Mayer. The 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 time that I knew I should dump some stock into Mayer, or to to get some shares of Mayer yeah. in my portfolio, was right after I think Daughters was a hit. And his next tour, if I remember right, was the Trio Tour. God bless, like, yes. dang, that's gangster. Ooh. This guy comes up and right? does the With Trio this, like, blues massive thing. T- pop song. Yeah. And then, yeah, he's playing, like, I Don't Need No Doctor yeah. with Pino and Steve. Yeah. Yeah, that was... You recorded one of his albums, though. You, like, recreated a Continuum, right? Yes, which, Corey, I never thought that thing was going to see the light of day. So this is... Gosh... Four years ago now, um, I was working with a guy by the name of Christian Bush, who is one half of Sugarland, the duo Sugarland. Okay. And Christian's from the Atlanta scene and is just like super creative, muso, magic human being. And as a producer, he just is like the perfect person to help like unlock different parts of your creative brain. And before we went in to record my first album, The Project, I was just sort of in one of those um, identity crisis moments that we all go through as artists being mm-hmm. like, what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? How am I going to do this thing that I supposedly call a career? And um, I was just trying to navigate through all of that. And Christian was like, Lindsay, what's your favorite record? Like if you could be stranded on a desert island right now with only one record, what would that be? And I was like, continuum. Like it has, it, I just love every song on that. I could sing you the guitar solos on it right now. Yeah. And he's like, perfect. I want you to go record the whole thing. 
you have two weeks, play every single instrument. You sit in your little, I had a little studio, like hole in the wall office at the label at the time. And he's like, you go sit in your room. You have two weeks. I want it done. Turn into me. Go. And at the time I was like, okay, I know this record. Yeah. Right to back. Fine. This will be easy. And it was not easy, clearly. Um, but I learned so much. Because although I knew that record, it's different. It's different being able to sing a guitar solo and then being able to play it. And like yeah. try to pay homage to what he did, but still put my stance on it. And at that time, I mean, four or five years ago, I had just kind of gotten into studio world and now I'm like far more of a track nerd so I listened to that thing and I was like oh my goodness what were you doing back then but but it was more just an experiment for me to understand why I loved that record so much it was brilliant looking back and drums are the only instrument I don't play and so learning how to program Steve Jordan like good luck with that but I spent so much time like programming all those and playing all the instruments and then I turned it into Christian and I was like, thank you so much. Like, I have learned so much from this homework assignment. I'm ready to go record my record. So it sat on a hard drive in my studio, and that was going to be its purpose. Like, it, I was never going to release it. Then we released my first album, and um, and in these interviews, I'm talking about the process of how we went yeah. through it. And fans started asking about it. They're like, we want to hear this. We want to hear this. We want to hear this. <laughs> and I'm just like, what have I done to myself? And so the label's like, why don't we just release it as just like a sidebar thing? Yeah. And Christian was like, okay, but we can't release it the exact way you turned it in because I recreated the record. So he was like, why don't we mute the drums and just make it like a cool, organic kind of thing? And I was like, are you kidding me? All of the blood, sweat, and tears I went in into like making that version of Continuum, but it ended up being the right call. And I got to release a version of a record that really has inspired me in so many ways. Yeah. And so now. That's cool. Yeah. Now I listen to it and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I would do so many things different. But I'd never had an intentionally thought that I was going to yeah, release yeah. it, you know? Yeah. That album I listened to, it's cool, but I like your creative. I, I, I heard your creative thing, but I could tell it was like you were, you were doing his songs trying to figure out how much of yourself to put into it. Your newest album, though, feels like you explored, found a little more, uh, how do I say it? Just I guess found your voice a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that as artists, we're constantly searching for that. Yeah. And I think I view it as at least, you know, layers of an onion that you're constantly peeling off. And hopefully every record that we record until, you know, for the rest of our lives will be articulating that in more honest ways. And yeah, my last record, Heart Theory, I feel like I was able to tap into like a deeper layer of Mm. musically what inspires me and what I think is cool while still, I mean, this is the bane of my existence, trying to figure out how to make something commercial. And now, right now, the things I'm writing, I feel like I'm just trying to write what I think is cool and not even worrying about what is commercial because what does that really mean at the end of the day? Yeah. I know what our writing process has been mm-hmm. for people who aren't listening. We've written a handful of songs together. Yeah. Um, what is your typical creative process? And I'm sure it's different. Like, it's I can see you think time. it's like, how do I answer this? And I, I know it's different. And yeah. even the songs that we've written have come from different, different places. places. Yeah. So in general, is there like a, a place that you go to where you know all right, every time I go here, there's at least a little bit of water in the well. Totally. Um, 
I'm inspired a lot by weird music Mm -hmm. and just what is weird music to you? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'll, I'll just listen to a lot of music and I love like finding new artists that I've never heard of that, you know, are still starting out, but I'm just like, wow, that's like very cool. A lot of it ends up being funk or jam bands or indie or triple A artists. Like that's a lot of the music that I listen to Yeah, or that at least inspires me. Yeah. I listen to and it has like a groove. Like I can tell that it has a soul behind it or it has like a flair of Motown or it has like a really good bass and drum groove. Yeah. Like that's. That's kind of the basis yeah. to me, at least right now in this season. Um, but yeah, I, I either find myself like really inspired by music that I hear or whatever I'm navigating through in my life as a emotional singer-songwriter female. And um, and so normally the writing process starts with the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'll like play something or sing like a cool melody and um, – and then, you know, choosing a topic from there. It, but it normally, I would say 90% of the time starts with music. There is a Nashville songwriting scene. There is a Nashville songwriting process. Yeah. And of course, every process is different. Every producer, artist is different, blah, blah, blah. But there is kind of like an expe- expected, if you were just to go to central casting and say, all right, we're doing the Nashville writing session documentary, it would be, they would show a certain process that's very common these days and who's in, what kind of people are involved, what kind of contributions are made. Can you explain to listeners, because there's a lot of people who've asked me like, what are writing sessions like in these different cities or different types of bands? Can you talk a little bit about your experience and what, just what the Nashville songwriting scene is and what that process is normally like these days. Totally. I mean, I've been living in Nashville for 11 years now, and you're right. It is like a culture here. Yeah. There's like different songwriting centers and and flares and and feels in every city. But here, like when I first moved to town, I heard like the term lunchbox songwriter. And basically Mm. what it meant is like you go to work every day at 11 a.m. or whatever time, and you like bring your lunch with you to these like little houses on Music Row that look like this old like – Victorian style house neighborhood and you walk into this old house and like the living room is the front office and the kitchen is the kitchen and all the bedrooms are writing rooms Yeah, and you go in and sit in there for three, four, five hours, write a song and then you go home and carry on with your life. And so, so many songwriters here make a living by writing songs every day. Like they go to their job, write songs and go home and spend time with their family and then wake up and the next day and do it all over again. And so, it's just a way of life, and there's, like, such a culture. And some of the best songwriters in the world live in Nashville and write every single day. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's so beautiful and endearing, and it's, like, a very welcoming environment. And then when I've, like, written in other towns, it's um, it's just also so unique. Like, I know the writing community in Nashville is not every writing town works like Nashville does. And as like people are moving here from other towns, like it's also changing up a bit, but like Mm -hmm. it's also the Nashville way that if you write with, like if we wrote a song today in terms of Nashville rules, it would be split 50, 50. Or if another person was in the room with us, it would be split a third, a third, a third. And that's just the rule of like what happens in Nashville. 
But in L.A., it's very different. Like, you know, you can have a track be sent and somebody put a kick drum on it and that kick drum allocates for 5% of a song. Or you're in a room and, you know, somebody contributes to 60% of the lyric and somebody said one line. And so they will get less of the song than... You know, and coming from Nashville, that whole world is just like, whoa, this is so different. So, um, yeah, writing in Nashville is definitely its own thing. But um, but it's such a cool place. And there's so many awesome writers here because of it. I've always been curious for the songwriters. How do they really because I see my songwriting royalty checks come in and I've written a lot of songs, nothing that's a radio hit. Some stuff that's gotten some decent play and then just whatever whatever stuff of my own or with other bands. But I think if if for those songwriters that aren't artists also that are out touring, selling merch, making royalties on the master side, like you have to write a lot of freaking songs and you have to like, – is everybody just chasing the one big fish? Like is everybody just going out every – like how are so many of these people making – like my songwriting royalties, if I was, if those are my, if that was my only income, that wouldn't be enough for me to live. To live, yeah. And, yeah. and I live a pretty modest lifestyle. Yeah. You know? So yeah, what? How are those people making that work? I mean, when you get into the world of like being a commercial songwriter and writing for radio, as you know, radio's changing and things are moving more to streaming. Like that whole world is changing vastly and super quickly. But um, but when you do have a a song that you know goes number 1 on country that's that's a pretty good income and mind you that that you know takes about 10 months to come in and yeah. that trajectory has like a bell curve of itself and yeah. you need to like constantly be churning out hits but like country is you know a fifth of what pop would be and so sure. the in terms of like having a song being a songwriter being paid as a songwriter um, you can definitely make a very good living on it, but you need to constantly be be doing it, which is yeah. why you you see like some of the most popular songwriters are the ones who write the most songs. Yeah. Like for my last record, I probably wrote I don't know, I probably was choosing between three or four hundred songs that I had written, let alone I listened to three or four hundred? Yeah. Probably That's like amazing. when I look like because well you just like you're you're pulling from a catalog of yeah, like yeah. past songs so yeah, I didn't totally, write that totally. in like yeah, a yeah, yeah. short window That's been like years of investment yeah. and as artists are like creating more projects putting them out more often you know that number for my next project I'll probably be choosing out of like a hundred songs but still yeah, yeah like it's it's a fair number and then I'll probably listen to four or five hundred outside songs. Mm. But, like, in terms of a, a hit songwriter, I mean, some of my friends who are, you know, have had 30 number ones write every day yeah. and have doubles some days. So yeah. they're just constantly doing it because it's, like, a little bit of a number system. It's, like, totally. when you are so talented to know that you have the potential of writing things that sound hitty, um, it's it's kind of a numbers game. I mean, Ryan Tedder is one of the busiest yeah. humans that, that I've – heard like when i hear of how much he works yeah and you look at the level of his success but it's like he works for it yeah yeah i've seen i have friends that have lived been living on scraps and then all of a sudden they have that one song that hits 
And it's like, whoa. It's crazy. You got a brand new Audi? Are I, you, like, I know. What are you, what are you doing? The last time I saw you, you were... You were, you like, were like scraping pennies <laughs> yeah. together, like trying like, to pay for your oil change. Yeah. I know. And the crazy part as a songwriter, once you have a number one, then all of a sudden your catalog seems to be a little bit shinier, a mm. little bit cooler. It's all perception, but perception is reality, as they say. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how much hits change the game. Yeah. But it's it's kind of true, as much as we hate to say it. Yeah. Okay, I want to shift to your last album. Dan Huff produced it. Sick guitar player. Dude. And I heard that, is he kind of like a guitar coach for you now or something yeah. like this? What's the what's 100%. that relationship? And how do I get to be coached by Dan Huff? Um, okay, I, <laughs> I know all of the prerequisites. Um, I When I first moved to Nashville, I watched hours and hours of Dan Huff playing guitar on YouTube. Like he's just such a special player, yeah. let alone as a producer, to have someone who understands guitar world, guitar talk, like that voice yeah. on a record, and who's played on Michael Jackson, Madonna records as a session player, to yeah. then have moved into the world of being a producer and has created, you know, Keith Urban's few first few albums and, and works with everybody from Kane Brown to Russell Dickerson to Lady Annabellum to all of these different artists in the country space and helps them create their unique voice. I was just like, I want to, I want to work with Dan Huff. So it was a huge thing off my bucket list to work with him. And I was so nervous the first day that we were going into track guitars. And I'm like, I need to play guitar in front of the dude who's played on Michael (laughs) Jackson records. And I need to think like, I know my way around this instrument. God bless. Like, please help me. Um, But he is like the nicest guy. Like he is so down to earth. And he, he's just, I, I learned so much from him through that process. Yeah. Um, the way he plays, the way he, like, chooses the right amps, gear. Mm. I was just, like, a sponge throughout that whole process. And the best thing about him is he's done all of these incredible things. And meeting him, you would never know it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of being a coach, like, I I always want my voice to show up. Like I said, as, mm-hmm. as a player, my favorite thing is listening to musicians who have, like, a voice. And so I, I just loved that Dan wanted me to be me. And so mm-hmm. he, like, put a guitar in my hand, was like, all right, let's, uh, let's see what this song sounds like, and would let me play whatever I did. And then he's like, okay, maybe go to the B-flat at the end of that solo. Or maybe try a different ending. Yeah. And so he would, like, I call him my guitar coach because it was, like, a football coach giving a quarterback, like, yeah. okay, the next play, maybe let's try this. He mm-hmm. wouldn't tell me what to do. He wouldn't tell me what the solo should be. But he was like, okay, that's awesome, Lindsay, but go here. Or yeah. make sure on the four chord you hit this note. Yeah. And so it was just like little tidbits of information that as a player were like incredible goalposts for me to be targeting. And like challenged me as a player and yet gave me like – such beautiful insights on on how to grow. So, yeah, next time you want to work with Dan, just let me know. I'll uh, I'll put y'all in a group text and you can love take it that. away. I love that. I I also love the analogy of a coach because I think for people like us that are doing this professionally, this is what we do to strive to be better, to strive to be the maximum, to just be performing at maximum output musicians don't seem to have the same mindset as athletes. So athletes will have physical trainers. 
They'll have coaches. They totally. have and not just coaches. It's like there's a shooting coach totally. for the Golden State Warriors. Right. And there's a, a running coach. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. yeah. Fitness. The one who's running the plays, talking about, you know, the, the different positions or, you know. Yes. The Vikings have an offensive coordinator, defensive Absolutely. coordinator, a head coach. And then there's special teams. There's all these individual things. Yes. And specialized things. I've always wanted, so on my, I guess in my team for myself, I have, you know, a couple physical therapists, Yeah. not because I need it, but because I, I want, well, maybe I do need it, but people that watch what I do, help me take care of my body, are paying attention to, so they'll smart. see, you know, um, every other week or once a month, kind of check yeah. through my wrists, my forearms. Oh, you're feeling a little more loose today. Or, oh, your shoulder's tight. What's, what's going on? Let's loosen this up. How can we fix this? So or, smart. Hey, your left hand, your... Your forearms are feeling more tight right now. What's going on? Have you been stretching? Yeah. This and that. But I don't have an actual like guitar coach. I've always wanted that. Like somebody. I'm so with you. So, and yeah. I think it's just like, that's so interesting to hear you compare like musicians to athletes. Because you're right with athletes. There's no stigma. It's almost like if we were like, oh, I need a guitar coach. We, it would be something that we would need to be like ashamed of. Mm. Because you're like not good enough or something and it's like but there's no stigma that an athlete needs a shooting coach so why should there be a stigma why we can't get better at our craft yeah you know i think sometimes there might be an ego thing yeah there might be like a well a guitar teacher has to be better than me totally it's like i don't know that phil jackson was better than jordan at the time of at the height of the bulls agreed agreed like he just could see the court, he could yes. see the dynamic of the band. Like if, if we as musicians, yeah, had, like I've always wanted a, a guitar coach to see me in the practice phase, see me in the rehearsal phase yep. for a tour and then out on the road. Like, hey, I'm noticing when you're on stage, when this sort of stuff happens, you're locking in better. When this sort of stuff happens, it feels like you're you're dipping, you're you're starting to rush a little bit. Totally. Your ideas, uh, something keeps, you're, you keep, Doing this thing. I want somebody to tell Corey, me. Corey, next time I watch your show, I'm going to give you a full rundown. Okay. I will be well, your well, like. We can coach each free, other. Okay, yeah, we yeah. can coach each other. Done. I will be your we'll guitar coach. Come to coach. each other's gigs. I and... love it. And be like, okay. So, second song, the solo could be a little bit more in the pocket. Um, that's so funny. I mean, even hearing you say those things, I think also that could qualify in the job of like a music director, like an MD, yeah, yeah. like hiring in somebody else, but specifically to guitar playing mm-hmm. i'm with you and i've always looked at it as like gosh i will throw my ego out the window and know that i you know am not the best at <laughs> anything and so anytime you know if celine dion still takes a voice lesson every day then god bless we all have a lot to learn so yeah. so yeah i think that's a healthy mindset to to constantly stay in and the thing i loved learning from dan is it's like playing guitar live and playing guitar on a record are different things in my mind yeah they're just – I approach solos differently. I approach songs differently. Mm-hmm. Like playing a guitar solo that will live in concrete till the end of time and somebody's listening to it either in their car or in their living room or whatever, that's just a different thing than being in a venue, playing in the air of a live show. You're all like breathing in that moment together. So it it was really um, valuable to like – capture Dan's brilliance and oftentimes it would fall into the less is more category all right all right at the beginning of the episode you heard me talking about distro kid I'm gonna mention him again because 
It's worth it to me. I really think that if you are an artist, you should have an easy and comfortable way to upload your music and get it distributed to all the streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube Music, blah, 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 all that stuff. You should have a way to do that. DistroKid makes it really easy. And also, they don't take a percentage. They do not take a percentage of your royalties. That's amazing. All they do is charge a yearly fee. I love it. I use it. If you're making your own music and want to put it out there in the world, I would suggest using DistroKid. That's that. Easy as that. Let's get back to the interview. How do you approach... So you talked about, like you know, the pressure of having recording a solo or guitar part that's going to live on in that. How do you, what's your approach to doing that, but also still keeping the life and energy and excitement of something of that, that we get in that, in the moment. I overthink that all the time. Yeah. And I think that, um, the energy of a solo is far more, um, about, I guess like the energy of a live solo is probably something more than I should worry about than the energy of a recorded solo just because of like where someone's going to be listening to that music. Like I would much rather have a, for um, arguable sake, lack of a better word, a simpler solo Mm -hmm. to record on record that someone can sing along to and that is more memorable and that is more in the vibe of what that song should say. I always say like a guitar solo should be the extra lyrics to a song. Yeah. And I always love to be able to sing my guitar solos. Yeah. And so when I'm recording something in the studio, um, I try not to get my head in the, well, it needs a flashy ending. I need to show that I can play guitar because nobody even knows who's, playing the guitar half the time like people want to listen i guess in our world maybe they do but um but people want to listen to music that is catchy yeah and then live that's different because it's like you are entertaining um you know you're putting on a show physically in front of people Mm -hmm. and so having those again for lack of a better word flashier moments is more important to me yeah when you are hiring a band Mm -hmm. you have a band they're great i do what do you look for in the musicians you hire for your band? I mean, when you are touring, the 23 hours that you spend with them is very important mm-hmm. other than just the hour on stage. Like there are so many incredible musicians on this planet who can play both of our shows yeah. and execute them in beautiful ways. But if you don't have that chemistry off stage, yeah, you see it on stage. And if you do have that chemistry offstage from just like a seeing eye to eye and and being good people and like your values aligning, then it becomes magic on stage. Yeah. And so who someone is like in their heart is is first and foremost to me, actually. And then it's like, okay, like, let's see what you can actually do, because I don't know. I just feel like a lot of music comes from um inside and and when it's coming from the right place like you can execute you can learn you can write you can build really cool parts that don't always need to live in the in the realm of okay who plays the best improv yeah um so when i'm hiring my band don't get me wrong like i love jamming with like so many different kinds of musicians but when i'm hiring somebody who's going to be on the road with me 200 plus days a year like we better be able to get along (laughs) yeah as you know i would hope so yeah i mean like 3 a.m., 3 a.m. at airports. Like, 
what we do is so incredible. And I'm so grateful to wake up and call this a job. But it's difficult sometimes. Like you're you're hungry. You're tired. You don't sleep. Like touring isn't as glamorous as it's as it's chalked up to be a lot of the time. Yeah. Even as both of us get more and more successful and we're, you know, renting out penthouse suites in foreign countries to do our albums hopefully one day. But um For the record, the, the place we were talking <laughs> about, I was looking at penthouse I'm suites like, in Serbia. <laughs> like Lindsay, you get a penthouse suite. It's two hundred and fifty dollars a night on Airbnb. I'm like, sign me up. I need to go write my next project. Exactly. The and speaking of Serbia, so Patar, my drummer, yes. which, you know, you, we're both friends, we great friends. We are both friends. dear friends. We love Patar. I think on the road, on stage, we have a very strong chemistry, not be- just because of 10 years of playing music together, but also, you're right. Just it's so like special. the off-road, uh, off-road, the off-stage off stage thing on the road. Like, sometimes we'll just be hanging out late, and it's like, I don't know, we're both really tired We'll both just crash in the same hotel bed. It's, yeah. it's like, I don't know, it's a king size bed. We're fine. Like, you know. Yeah. And it's, you know, we have our antics. We're like brothers. We bicker at each other once in a while and we poke fun. But, but that's beautiful. That's the, yeah, it's all it's, in it's, in the brotherhood. It's side. all in the brotherhood, yeah. like the friendship of it. And finding those people that, yeah, you, you can stand to be around and you can also be really honest with. And you know they'll be honest with you. Because I yeah. lean on my band and I want them to be able to push back on me when, mm. you know, we feel like we can build a better show somehow. <laughs> you said something. The the pushback on you, you know, sometimes if you're feeling really good about something or if you're not feeling really good about something, it's like, man, this isn't working. And the rest of man's like, just trust us. This is working. This totally. is great. Yes. Okay. Do they have some sort of hidden agenda when saying that? Yeah. No or yes. Yep. There's no agenda. Great. I'm going to take their word for it. Totally. And like, if I feel like something's really like, oh, this would be really funny to do. Like I, I had my, the biggest festival set of my life as a solo artist this one time playing after, not Panic at the Disco. What's the other one? Amazing. What's the band with the Ezra is the lead singer? Oh, Better Than Ezra? Not Better Than Ezra. Um... Oh, let me look it up. What's that band? Let's Google. What would we do without Google? How Pop do people live? band lead singer Ezra. <laughs> Jason, I hope you don't cut this part As, out. This yeah, is gold. We can leave this, this in. Podcast Vampire Weekend. Oh, yeah. Vampire Weekend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love Vampire They're Weekend. getting off the stage and we're getting on. We're, <laughs> I'm about to do this That's thing dope. at this festival. All these people there. The big LED walls. I was like, dude, what if I go out and start the set just solo soprano sax? I'll play I'll play soprano sax. I love you. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> and the band looks at me and two of the guys are like, that would be hilarious. Because I was just thinking like, this would be just the funniest thing right. after a vampire weekend set. Yeah. I go out there and they're expecting this and high energy punch. Like- and I'm not a soprano sax, but I can, I can play... I, could, I, I played don't in high doubt school. You. One day, so I, could, Wong. I was practicing backstage, <laughs> oh my and gosh. I was getting it together. I had it. I had it. It was right there. I think yep. I was gonna play. You know what I was gonna do? I was gonna play "How Great Thou Art." Stop it. Dun 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 dun. That's amazing. A soprano sax. <laughs> And then finally I got out there. (laughs) And a couple of guys were like, dude, 
honestly, it's 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 maybe the, one of the funniest things you've thought of, but this moment is too big for you to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, do yeah. it at your own show. See, those because, are the kind of guys yeah, you the, want. The people that paid tickets right. to see you right. are interested in seeing you do the stupid, weird, funny right. stuff that you do. Yes. These people bought these tickets to see a bunch of other bands. Right. You have too much to lose right now. That's so true. They're not here to see they're not necessarily here to see you. Just get up. It just let's just come out with the yes. hottest banger out of the gate yes. and get keep people there so they don't leave. See, those, those are the kind of people you want around you. Yes. Yeah. Who can be like, <laughs> okay, cool. We'll do that in our own yeah. show when we're playing to our people yeah. and who are like willing to go for the ride with us yeah. wherever it may go. Like Portland, Oregon? Yeah. yeah. Bring Start it the, on. My yeah. hard ticket show in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Yeah. So those people are very important. Yeah. What about on the music side of things, what you look for in a band? A lot of it is influences. So finding, you know, players that have similar influences that come yeah. from, you know, like my music director currently in my band is also um, the other guitar player in my band. And, and we have a lot of the same influences. You know, we like love the same gear. We love mm-hmm. the same guitar players. And it's just nice to be able to talk i mean same with my bass player like yeah i found eric um from a link like when i was flying to australia and needed to hire a band over there and i found him (laughs) playing the continuum project like or playing like songs off continuum and i was like okay this dude and i at least can talk the same language yeah um which by the way i met eric when i was in australia by happenstance because my friend ray thistlewaite who's an incredible musician brought us to this jam and Eric was running the jam there. Stop it. What a small world. And I remember you talking A few that years story. later, you're like, oh, yeah, my music director, Eric. I'm like, wait, you mean the guy from the jam in Australia? <laughs> Funny. Anyways, go on. I know. Yeah. It's so crazy. The world is such a small place. But yeah, like Eric and Austin and Harry, I'm just, I'm so grateful to be surrounded by like guys who have like similar influences. Because I think that when you're, you know, building s- moments on stage, um, you instinctively will want to go similar places. Yeah. And for sure, even having like, like I essentially am the music director of my band, but also having somebody who can help steer things, you know, either in the moment when we're in the middle of a set and I want to extend a section or building transitions in between songs, you know, having guys that, um, that like the same stuff that I do, you know? Yeah. I love being able to just say to my band, all right, let's do the, Prince one plus one plus one is three yes. thing here. Or you like, can talk the same language. Yeah, yeah. They'll know what I'm talking about. Like absolutely, they they know the song or they're hearing me, hearing me play whatever thing I'm doing, and I can say, yeah, give me the give me give me Dirty Mind era Prince right. treatment on the rhythm section. Yes, and then the horns. Let's go less Earth, Wind, and Fire and more Chicago or something. 100%. You know, and and the horn section will get that. They'll get it. And that's yeah. a huge thing in terms of communication. Like if you can't speak the same language with your band, then yeah. that's maybe something you got to look at. Or even like discovering new music or really falling in love with certain records. Like I'm probably going to embarrass myself sitting in front of you saying this, but um, we were so into Theo's last record. Like Modern Johnny, we yeah. played that thing on our bus after every single show. <laughs> and my band and I know every single word to every single song. And Theo Amazing. played third and Lindsley here last year. Yeah. And I remember because we were on a run on the West Coast. 
and all flew in early so we could go see Theo play Third and Lindsley. And the the four of us were like little schoolgirls behind front of house, like singing along to every song and just like freaking out. And it was like when you can connect like that as a band to yeah. certain records, it's just it's magic. Like you carry that synergy on stage. That giddy school girl thing you just described is how I am also at Theo concerts. God bless. <laughs> like, da, 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 da. like I'm just like, goodness gracious, how can one human be so talented? And and yet that's what music is supposed to do to you, you know, inspire us in that in that yeah. way. I think actually that's also on stage with Wolfpack. That's how we are watching each other because we don't get to play together that often. Yeah. But we're all like each other's biggest fans. I love watching you guys play. I've never actually been to a show uh, live, which I need to do, obviously. But I have watched hours and hours and hours of footage. I sound like a stalker right now of Wolfpack playing. And there is like a a charisma and a and a um, you can just see like an appreciation for each other. Yeah, that is so infectious, and it's yeah. awesome because it's like. I know what that feels like on stage as well. So to be able to see it in all of your faces, it's just so cool. Like, I don't think there's another band who is composed of, like, so many individuals who are so, so talented in on so many different instruments. Like, <laughs> y'all can just, like, step up to anything, either direction, and, like, crush it in in such a beautiful way. Like, it's, it's a really special thing. Thanks. Yeah, we, we really do have a lot of fun. And it's all genuine, and that's yeah, yeah, it's fun. You can tell, you can tell, and it's like those are the kind of bands where you never know what's going to happen. And to a fan coming to a show, it's like that is so exciting to watch because you can feel like the anticipation, even in you guys. Yeah, where it's like, okay, we're about to go do this. Like, let's see what happens. Um, Jack always keeps us on our toes. It's fun. <laughs> and we, yeah, and we all keep each other on our toes, yeah. not really knowing, you know, there's certain things that, I guess scripted is the wrong word, but certain things that are pre-written, totally. like a song, you know, totally. or whatever. Yeah. But there's always jumping points where it's like, okay, where is this going to happen? And how yeah. are we going to land? You know, where yeah. are we, when we jump off, where is it going to go? And how are we going to land back into the next checkpoint? Yeah. And that's... That's what keeps things fun. I think that's also maybe what puts us partially in the jam world too, totally. which yeah. is cool. Which is really cool. And I mean, it's something that I always think about even when I'm putting a set list together in my shows because I know that my fans aren't as educated in the jam space as much as my brain loves. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I would love to have a 32 bar solo every song, but I know that you know, the attention span is only so long, right now at least. Sure. And so it's like really writing those moments into my show and like knowing when I can go there and when it can go off the rails and when it can be some undetermined set of time and when I need to be a little bit more on the grid. I'm trying to think how I would do that if I were you. (laughs) Please, please, coach. Okay, you know what? If I were your music director and you said, look, I want to play at least a 64-bar solo every night. Yeah. I need to find a way to keep the audience captivated who's not necessarily interested in hearing me do it. My suggestion would be make sure that it's a very emotionally, not manipulative, but uh, it's it's a moment that, like there's certain things, like the the opening of that Coldplay album, Viva La Vida, mm, 
Yeah. There's a song that just, as soon as I hear it, it's like it conjures up this emotional. Yes. You know, there's ways that we can use music. Totally. To and set use up your an band yeah, yeah. to like even in chord changes, like you hang on the one and then you add in like different changes. There's totally ways, you're right, of yeah. like creating that tension. I wonder if there's a way, if, if you were using a video wall, if you were using mm-hmm. like any sort of screen, what I would try to do is build a story on the screen, tell a story, maybe it's the story of your life or an event mm-hmm. that leads into a song or comes out of a song, maybe it describes that. But if you're speaking, even if there's like narration, but the music is a score to that, you can almost get away with anything. That's beautiful. Because Corn then people Wong, are going to be- my new guitar coach, everybody. <laughs> well, people, people don't yeah. want to pay attention That's to that. Beautiful. We'll pay attention to that. People that want to pay attention to the guitar solo will pay attention to the guitar and solo. And as you say that, actually, this just clicked in my brain because you just said that. But um, we toured a year and a half with Brad Paisley, like, all over the world. And a lot of his show is, like, I mean, Brad is just such an incredible musician and so hilarious. Um, he's like a comedian um, when he's not playing. But a lot of his show has, like, funny video mm. behind every single one of his songs. Like, you go to his show, and it's like a movie. Yeah. Like, you're seeing him and his band play his songs, and you're also watching a movie behind it of, like, him or his band, like, doing pranks. Or, like, it's just really funny. Yeah. And now I'm just putting two and two together that as Brad is, like, playing, like, all of his, like, technically great musical things, the people in the audience who appreciate that appreciate that, and then everybody else who doesn't are just watching the funny videos behind them. Yeah, you're a brilliant man, Corey Wong. So I guess no, I I'm just to... I'm just thinking. I was inspired in the moment. Thinking yeah, about it. I don't... yeah, that's so clever. And it doesn't even have to be video. I think it could be something visually compelling. Yeah, totally. Even if it's just a total scene change, and all of a sudden it feels like a really moody thing with the lighting, or that. Yeah, that brings up an interesting point. Like. Over the past year and a half since being in, you know, navigating through this pandemic and everything, it like, I think has let all of us kind of take a step back and reprioritize and think about what we're doing. But I have established a new appreciation for the production behind things like lighting and Mm -hmm. video, not necessarily like, like you said, like a, a video of human beings and stuff all the time, but even just like colors and like really creating uh, a world and an experience in a live show on top of just the music because I am just like give me a club and an amp and a stage and I will go. Yeah. But there's like a a magic quality to like really building content around your music that I, I guess like you just said like unlocks a new world that you can bring an audience with who yeah. may not be as versed in the musicality side of things. Yeah. I just saw um at the at the Adventure Science Center here in Nashville. I'm such a nerd, so <laughs> uh, I do shit like that when I have free time. Um, but they had prints set to lasers, mm. and it was like so inspiring to just listen to like I don't know. They had like ten songs or whatever, um, but prints set to lasers, and all it was was just listening to music, and it like was this laser show, and I was so inspired leaving it. Uh. Because it's just like, I know these songs, I've heard them a million times, and yet when you're experiencing them set to a different, um, you know, medium or different art form, just like we write songs, 
whenever we've written songs, Corey puts on these these train videos <laughs> on YouTube where you're watching this train like drive through like <laughs> Iceland or something. I don't even know if trains in Iceland, but like Switzerland, Switzerland or Norway or whatever. <laughs> and um, it's just like it's so inspiring to listen to music set to this piece of content that yeah. has been written or like created for that three minute piece of music yeah and so yeah i guess i guess i need to build a whole uh light show for my show (laughs) basically see i'm always thinking about that stuff because for me most of my show is instrumental yeah and i know that the general public is less receiving or less interested in instrumental music totally so with a live show especially with me kind of being like lead rhythm guitar. Yeah. You know, there there's a certain Even though let me stop you on that point because you've told me that before and although I fully get that when you say that you were a flipping great guitar player and you are far well, way you. more than a lead rhythm guitar player. So I can't even let yeah, you yeah, 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 let well, yeah, you yeah, sit yeah. with okay, that sentence okay. like Well, you know what I do. But I so, do know what you do, yeah. If if there's a lot if there's Let's say there's a club with 2,000 people and 1,500 of those people bought tickets because they want to see me. Mm-hmm. 500 of them are going along with a friend. Right. Yep. How do I keep those 500 people engaged who maybe are... I mean, they, are they're going to have a... Yeah. They're, yeah. they're like, okay, what's this thing about? And right. they're going to have a good time because it's an energetic show yes. and we have fun on stage. Totally. They see the dynamic. But I'm always trying to think of ways on stage to to capture, okay, if we're doing this thing, there's a lot of people that aren't interested in this yep. sort of thing. Yep. So how can we make sure that they're taken care of during totally. that five-minute segment? I 100% think of the same thing. And through the past year and a half, I've really – I mean, there's so many ways of getting to that end zone. But I really think that there's so many powerful things you can do with lights. And, I yeah. mean, we can't all tour with video screens. But there are ways that you can, you know, fly with things that – yeah. Do shit on stage that looks cool and and um can capture those extra 500 people in new ways. Yeah. Who might not be like, "Oh, where is he going to go in his solo next?" Yeah. Like they're just like <laughs> looking at, "Oh my gosh, they're having so much fun on stage and look at that cool light and whatever." Yeah. So, I think there's ways of capturing both of those kind of fans. And really, your fan base is probably a lot more appreciative of those moments. Yeah. Already, because you've like tuned them into that, sure. you know? Yeah. What advice do you have for me? Well, how would you do it? Oh, my goodness. Coach me. All right. Um, <laughs> as your guitar co- coach, Corey Wong, I I think that, you know, definitely leaning into those moments of production. And like I said, it can be like it doesn't need to be you're spending millions and millions of dollars on video screens, but being able to play with the lights and stuff more. And I also think that, I mean, you are such an incredible player and I think you should showcase that a little bit more. Like, Mm. yes, you are an incredible lead rhythm guitar player, as you say, (laughs) as you edify yourself. But like the first time we wrote, I was like, dang, like, look at that dude go. Like you should showcase more of that because you're flipping great. And even if it's just in little moments, like I know leading a band and playing an instrument 
and covering all the solos or whatever is like thing. Like it's a job to like entertain a room slash, you know, in my case, sing lyrics and also, you know, be the, the head of like these tunes. But like you can choose your moments. I I feel like, you know, obviously I will I will defer to when I fully see you play live and critique your whole set as yeah. your future guitar coach. But before that, I think you should like find a few more moments in your show to like really show off what you can do. I think you're right. Appreciate that. Yeah. You're so welcome. Free advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my last thing I want to get into, mm-hmm. the last question has to do with social media because yeah. everybody's not everybody, but most musicians, people who are trying to make it uh People who are looking to find their voice, who have found their voice and now want to express it and share it with the world. Mm -hmm. This is just what we're dealing with, social media. My vantage point, my approach, what I do, my all of that stuff is different than you because I'm a dude. Yeah. And also I'm not singing songs and whatever. There's that. But I think the the part that I'm, I'm curious about, because I know as... My daughters are starting to get to the point where they're like, oh, can we get a phone? Do they want to can be on we... TikTok? They don't. They're not interested in that Great. yet. Great. There's... Great parenting. Well, whatever. <laughs> they're, you know, they love Animal Crossing. Great. But I see the way that they're into Animal Crossing and they, they're dedicated to making their island amazing, you That's know, and awesome. working on it. Like, I got, I got to pay off my mortgage <laughs> on I Animal mean, Crossing. I mean, I love it. The it's fact like... that, how old are they? 10 and 8. Oh my gosh, the fact that they're saying sentences yeah, like I that. I mean, those are great life skills. Yeah. Great life skills. Like, uh, when we're watching this movie, do you mind if I work a little bit um, planting tulips? Because I need to God get some bless. more. God <laughs> bless. You and your wife, Corey, are incredible parents. So I, I know that I know that the that scene is different. Yeah. My experience and is going to be different than it, it currently is different than what yours is and yeah. what theirs will be. How do you how do you speak to musicians, people in general who are trying to find their way, sort their way through social media in a way that's honest and true to who they are? Mm-hmm. But also you can interpret this actually a handful of ways, but healthy habits on social yeah. media. I think that it's about really spotlighting those things that make you you. And I know that's such an easy way to say it, but like the first time I saw your videos of where you're like panning around the room and you're playing (laughs) all of the different instruments in a band on a song. And I'm just like, that's so awesome. And it's like, it shows who you are. It showcases your talent. And it's also something different that people are like, oh my gosh, did you see the video Corey just posted? And then it becomes like sort of a thing. Like you all want to find things that become, you know, people's individual uh, stance on on how someone sees you. Um, I think that being a musician, being on social media, it's just about most honestly as you can portraying things like that and not overthinking it. I mean, TikTok is still an app that I'm like trying to figure out because I will spend hours creating the most beautiful orchestrated guitar solo that is 15 seconds long on TikTok and it will not it will not interact at all. And then I'll spend 2 seconds shooting a stupid video about my ponytail and it gets like thousands and thousands of views and I'm just like I don't understand this app yet. But that being said, 
in the same light, like it, it's just showcasing the things that are most honest and most vulnerable. And mm-hmm. everybody gets to, you know, define those boundaries on how open they want to be. For me, I look at social media as a way of really inviting fans into who I am as a person. And yeah. so if I'm putting my life on social media, then they're invited to it. And, you know, we're all just people figuring out how to put our pants on one leg at a time. And we're all navigating through the same things. And yeah. so I, I love being able to show all those sides of life and, and showing those little parts of your personality, your sense of humor, what you find funny. I think that that's how you can really have a unique, distinct voice that that fans will be drawn to, whether that's through just musical things or you want to post, you know, things that you think are funny or like, like, oh, my gosh, I just saw this at the airport today. Well, you'll never believe. Um, so it's just a way for you to put a magnifying glass on those little parts of your personality that you think are lame and somebody else will see as totally unique. Yeah. How do you, how do you define the boundaries for yourself, both in your consumption and in your presentation on social media? I am kind of a workaholic. And so it's probably why I'm still single. (laughs) And so in terms of like my boundaries on consumption, I don't have healthy boundaries. Like Mm. I'm kind of at the point now where I'm like, all right, I need to post one thing a day at minimum on Instagram. Right now I'm trying to like embrace, I have like different plans for every different, uh, you know, app or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I I try to just stay consistent. Like if you want to build your socials and and get more followers or whatever, I really think consistency is key. Yeah. However consistent you want that to be, like everybody gets to mm-hmm. obviously determine that for themselves. But yeah, I post like something every day on Instagram. Right now I'm trying to post three TikToks a day, which God bless, that's a lot of work. Three a day. Well, I've just been told that that in order to build, like it's the the pace pace of the the app app, and it's like some things are going to interact and some things aren't. So you just, it's, it's consistency and it's numbers and just like not being precious about it, not overthinking it. And so I probably have a pretty unhealthy boundary with consumption and dedication to like creating content. But right now, I mean, I'm single, like what else am I going to do on a Thursday night when I'm sitting at home by myself with my dog? So, um... So, yeah, I, I'm pretty dedicated to consistency and yeah. just, like, making sure I um, am just always producing content, whatever that can be, whenever I can. Like, if I have a really busy week and I'm putting in 16-hour days, then I'm probably not going to hit that. But yeah. most days I try to hit that. And um, in terms of, like, consumption, it's so hard to, like, not fall into the pitfalls of comparison to yeah. your peers who are, you know. That's That's what I mean. It's... I get, I go back and forth with that. I don't wrestle yeah. with it as much anymore, but it I feel those even just the seeds of those things creeping in, and I think, oh my gosh, if I were still seventeen, mm-hmm. and I if I had these seeds, these seeds would I know better now than to let those seeds grow yes. into a freaking the redwood forest. But as a teenager, yeah. I don't know that I would have would have been able to stop those seeds from growing. Yeah, I think it's it's just healthy to constantly have like reality checks and know that whenever you're comparing because we're all going to do it whether it's to our best friends who just went on a vacation or to our peers who are co-workers who are doing the same things as we are I mean that post is probably the best five seconds of their day and that 
a lot of the time social media is smoke and mirrors on how to make something look a lot cooler than what it is. Mm -hmm. And we all know that in our own lives. I mean, yeah. the picture that any of us posted two days ago is probably not how we live our life all of the time. Yeah. And it probably even looked a lot cooler than what it was. And so it's just like I have that own perspective within my own content. And so yeah. reminding myself constantly, and I literally do it every day, being like, okay, yeah, I can feel pressure. I always will put that pressure on myself regardless. And I think that's in a certain level healthy to just constantly keep you motivated and wanting to grow and wanting to expand in whatever way. But but um, but knowing that, yeah, you, you can't compare yourself to a filtered, fake version of perfection because yeah. that's not reality. I love that. That's a great place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> we covered a lot. We this covered is good. a lot. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for oh joining me. This is awesome. Corey Wong, I'm so excited about our future guitar coach uh, sessions for each other. I am I'm too. really I'm, excited about I'm that. I'm stoked. I think you're out on the road before me, so I'm just going to follow. I'm going to actually just hop in the van or Perfect. hop in the Done. bus with you guys. And uh, You have a bunk with your name on it. All right. <laughs> I'll be at front of house. You'll see the glow of the screen. Perfect. And I'll be making I'll be notes. typing, making oh, notes. Oh, gosh. Like, Whenever I see your, really? your hand e flat? typing really <laughs> fast, I'll be like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining. And Thank you for having me. I will see you on the road. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. There you go. Isn't she awesome? She's great. Lindsay is a wonderful person. And those are the kind of friends that I think every musician needs. Somebody who comes from a different world and has perspectives in different ways. And also somebody that you can just be honest with and they can be honest with you. And you can either take it or leave it. But know that the intentions are good because we all have our own opinions and we all have our own ways of whatever. So hopefully you will see more stuff of Lindsay and I together. Actually, I know for a fact you will because we have some stuff coming up that is unreleased. Like I said at the beginning of this, I'm excited for you all to hear it because the songs are great and it turned out really awesome. So thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.